Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 of Peachtree Hoops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops. We are recording about an hour after the Hawks loss in Utah. And uh, Glenn, what'd you think? I, You know, they, they kept me there on th- believing that I thought they could, like, be tough enough to maybe be in the mix in the fourth quarter and with like if i don't i don't have the everything memorized and like lebron style the way he supposedly remembers everything but i think with about two minutes to go in the third quarter it seemed like it was going to be a manageable game heading into the fourth quarter and then it just vaporized any possibility of them being competitive in the fourth quarter vaporized so i it was so disappointing to see but you know it's a weird season. I mean, how do you react to something like this? It's hard. You could be disappointed and say it's just a weird season and a weird set of variables everybody's dealing with anyway. So that's that's just kind of my reaction. Yeah, it was a it was a strange game. Uh, there's a lot of places you could start. It uh, you know start for one with the fact that the the Jazz made it a lot of shots. Uh, so the shot, their shot making was on point, and the Hawks wasn't, or, or for the Hawks it wasn't uh, a thing that they had going. But the whole game just kind of had a weird vibe. Utah, you have to give Utah credit because they figured out a way to make life difficult for Trey. For sure. It seemed like that he had the attention of more than one defender tonight at all times. Um. And so in that starting unit, it's like, okay, well, if, if if Trey has more than one set of eyes on him, you know, where are they getting that attention from and, and what's the Hawks' plan? And it felt a little bit like, you know, if there was somebody that was getting less defensive attention, maybe it was Cam Reddish, which I guess is good for Cam because his shot got on track a, uh, a little bit tonight with, with the decreased attention. But they just found a way to make it so so that Trey didn't really have the ball as much. You know, there was a lot of ball denial, a person in front of him, a person behind him on some of the inbounds plays. But at the same time, it's like, well, you you still figure out a way that that, that there's got to be something to, to make life more comfortable for him. And, uh, you know, he scored four points, a career low. Uh, I should say it was tied for a career low. I think he had a four-point game in the past, but... Yeah, four points. Uh, we said before, I mean, at least I said before the season started, 
you know, coming out of the preseason, the, the Hawks are going to go as Trey Young goes. So when he scores four points, that's typically going to be a long night. Actually, this game was weirdly competitive in a way that is actually a little bit surprising given the shot making and given the fact that Trey was, was taken out of it. So I guess that's compelling, but it, it is weird how they took the, the Trey out completely. Um, you know, even on a bad night, you kind of expect him to to have a little more in the tank than that. Yeah, they definitely were prioritizing um, sort of the defensive philosophy of somebody besides Trey is going to have to beat us tonight. We're just not going to let that happen. That was clear from the beginning. Like you said, they were allocating more than a single defender to him. If I had to try to be specific, I would say they always had like one and a half. Yeah. And then and then sometimes just outright two full defenders focused at him. Um and when you think about how you want to counter that, there, there's different ways to, um, you know, handle that as a coaching staff. You could say, well, like like you kind of start, mentioned a moment ago, what's open? If they're going to allocate more than more than one defender to him, we're going to be, we should be able to play four on three at some point in some way, and let's do that. Or like in the first half, to basically put him in the corner and kind of functioned, um, you know, on the other half of the floor, if you will, and stuff. So yeah, there, there's a lot of different ways to try to do that. But when you're a team um, built around Trey Young, especially with the, the guys, the offensive firepower that's missing right now, it's almost like you have to find some way to get him going to be able to kind of match, um, you know, the offensive production of, of whoever the other team is. And they just weren't really able to kind of find a way to do that that could be key, be because they just made a philosophical decision to let's attack with the guys that have space to work with and have opportunities because they're they are allocating so much attention to Trey, or it could have just been the the Jazz were so really good at executing their game plan that they just basically decided Trey wasn't going to really get anything tonight. And he's one for eleven. Um, that's not normal, of course, at all. Um, you know, last year he was a, a ridiculously efficient scorer and shooter. He looked frustrated. I think, you know, if I ta- have one takeaway, it's just how frustrated he looked and just to have a little concern about, you know, is that going to carry over, you know, to the next game tomorrow or or a week or two or whatever, you know, whatever that's going to look like. We can't know that right now. Um, but, yeah, the, the Jazz basically just, just, you know, did what NBA coaches call we're going to – um, focus on the head of the snake, trace the head of the snake. That's what the whole jazz defense was schemed and built to, to do tonight, and they did it uh, exceptionally well. Yeah, I mean, again, be, you know, for a lot of reasons, including the increased defensive attention, but also, you know, you just look at, you know, some of the other factors for the Hawks and some of the other disappointments. If, if you look at what Clint Capella did in the box score, it probably looks great. I think he shot eight for nine from the field and had a bunch of rebounds. You know, Gobert, Gobert outplayed him pretty soundly in the first half. Um, just, you know, getting rebounds, being more active, kind of getting him out of position on, on defense. It, you know, Gobert was just a better player in the first half. By, by a decent margin. So, mm-hmm. you know, the box score isn't going to tell you necessarily what kind of night Capella had. And, you know, when you play Capella, that made things a little bit easier, I think, for the Jazz in terms of, you know, how 
Gobert could set up defensively. Um, you know, the, the two bigs have been good for the Hawks. In fact, one of their best stretches tonight was when they were playing two bigs coming out of the second half. Uh, early third quarter, the Hawks got on a nice run, but um, in some respects, I think playing playing Capella leaves Gobert in his comfort zone more than he might have been on some other nights. I remember a couple of years ago, uh, you know, a, a home game for the Hawks in a disappointing season when they weren't playing that well, and you know, the Jazz came in on a hot streak and. John Collins playing at center, you know, they, they kind of made Gobert uncomfortable and the Hawks came out with sort of an improbable win in that circumstance. But tonight, uh, I don't know, they, they're playing a more conventional offense with a more conventional center and it just, just kind of let, uh, kind of let Gobert feel good, so to speak. Yeah. So I mentioned my top takeaway is probably just how uh, frustrated young looks. That's not the most interesting takeaway. For me, you know, when Capella was acquired, there was a lot of conversation around how are Capella and Collins going to fit together. And I think, you know, even some of the conversation you and I had and with, with others too, when Capella missed the first couple of games and they looked so good offensively early was, oh, is Capella going to mess all of this up? Just because um, he has... Uh, good value but it's narrower value he can't do as many things right um and they they've done overall overall they've done totally fine together you know yeah the lineups have been good you know yeah. you mentioned taking trey off the ball before you know there was one play where whoever had the ball instead of trey was running a pick and roll with capella and all of a sudden you know they swing it to the, for the second side pick and roll and it's like trey and john are on the second side running a pick right. and roll it's like well that's a nice luxury to have but, uh, yeah, it is. You know, the numbers for those two center lineups are good. I just think that, you know, there are players like Gobert, you know, if you have Gallinari and you all of a sudden you just, you know, test out a Gallinari Collins front court because, hey, nothing else is working for you that night. For sure. Uh, you got yeah, and more options. They miss Gallinari a ton tonight. A ton. Yeah. I, I even said so after the game on Twitter. I just said, you know, Gallo, probably maybe the main reason Gallo is here on nights where, for whatever reason, Trey uh, is taken, if he's hurt or he's taken away like he was tonight by opposing defense, Gallo can carry your offense. No one on the roster really can. They tried to ride Hunt, tried to ride Hunter for a while, but he's been playing so well, but he's not ready for that. But, you know, back he to... He looked good, though. He looked, he looked really there, good at... Was there a point at which it felt like... The, I, I think he had one maybe drive that kind of looked like he got chopped off, but... Yeah, it. I don't know. I'm trying to think like when it was working, it was working. I'm trying to figure. Well, did Utah stop her? Or did the Hawks just go away from it? The what I saw was that they were cross matching, and so they kept catching Hunter with a smaller guard on him. Right. He had Hawks and some others. Yep. Yeah, Hawks would identify that as the game progressed. The Jazz got better and better at forcing Hunter to catch that post entry pass with like eight on the clock instead of. 15 you know and so the the jazz were just doing like stunting shading a guy over into the passing lane just slowing it slowing the delivery to hunter in the post down such that he only had you know one or two moves to you know time to maybe try to execute one or two moves and, and, and that 
was what kind of slowed them down from there. And they did that with Collins too. There were a few times they caught Collins with a chance to face up in the post. Um, and they would do really good stuff to bleed the shot clock before Collins really had a chance to kind of face up. You'd face up and you'd look and say, oh, there's seven seconds on the shot clock now or yeah, I thought, I thought Utah's smalls, you know, whether it was Royce O'Neal or wh- whoever else, you know, Collins had some mismatches and it never it never felt quite awful, but it also never felt like good offense either. Uh, no, right. I think it's you know, the he made some buckets, but he was he was kind of, you know, they they bumped him to the point where he was never really going to the basket on any of those point moves, post moves. It was more of either a straight up or a fall away. And the, the, I, you know, I, I think if he gets a thousand of those shots and you can get the law of averages there, I, I think you would see that it really wasn't great offense. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. And, um, but I think what, what I saw tonight um, circling back to Capel and Collins is sort of the worst case scenario when the other team is using more than one defender, if not outright trapping Trey, Neither Capella nor Collins really has that playmaking. Neither of them have that short role creation right. skill set. And when you're, when neither your power forward nor your center have it, I think that's when you're really going to suffer with the other team throwing all that trapping and all that you know pressure in the face of Trey. You know, if you think about the the, the team that made this famous was Draymond Green. You know, being an outlet for Steph to hit a bounce pass when he got doubled and Drake could just turn yeah. around and attack the paint and, you know, make a, make any pass you needed them to. And I don't find that to be such a huge deal in a single game like this, especially a, a road game, a weird, you know, time in the NBA, you know, season and everything. But as they try to build up towards being a playoff ready team, that could be something that opposing defenses try to do consistently. And so I was, you know, I was, I was a little curious tonight, like why didn't we see DeAndre Hunter, brought up into the high screen and playing at the power forward more. Um, I mean, and, and then I realized, well, Gobert is already kind of killing us on the offensive glass, you know, so it's, it's hard trade-offs there, but when it comes to the, when it comes to trying to counter the fact that they're not, they're trying to prevent Trey from getting anything. I think you have to find some way to kind of punish that or open something up. And when you have Collins and Capella at the four and the five, I mean, they're both useful, good players that I enjoy, but they're not going to help you punish trapping Trey in the high screen right. role, you know. Yeah, I mean, and the defense makes up for that. But, you know, Lloyd Pierce made the right move a couple of weeks ago, which was, you know, to get ready for something like this, you you put Bogdanovich in the starting lineup. And exactly that lasted all of, what, like two quarters, three quarters before he got hurt? Um, that A quarter and a half. <laughs> was it really that short? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was second quarter. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> I mean, if Gallo's playing, he's doing that short roll. Yeah. He's doing he's in that yes. high screen game. That's right. It you know, he's it, And it, they don't it, have they just they you know, the samples have been so small that they didn't even have you know, Trey and Gallo haven't had good chemistry yet. Like their pick and pops were like all over the place in the preseason in the first couple games. Yeah. But it it you know it's just a matter of time. Like they both have NBA track records that you know that that will work. Yeah, and like if it's a if zero they, doubter, for sure. If like if if the NBA had uh, like all offense like teams, uh, that's not a thing. But if you started ranking the best offensive power, 
point guards and the best offensive fours and fives in terms of guys that can score in volume efficiently, guys that can put a lot of pressure on the put. They're they're both like way up there on, on the list. And Trey just had no help in the form of you know someone he could pass the ball to, and and such that that person could turn around and punish that trap and punish that additional defender being thrown in Trey's face. That's one reason I thought I was a little surprised, I guess, that they were able to push back into single digit games and make it look like a a potentially winnable game. I think what they did really well tonight was when, when Utah did miss shots, which weren't a ton of them, (laughs) but when they did, they pushed the ball, you know, got out, Push the ball and got e- that's when they got their easy baskets when they were pushing after Utah misses and that's sometimes that's kind of all you can do when a team is shooting hot and cold. Unfortunately for them, after about like the last couple minutes of the third quarter, it was just bl- a blazing shooting performance from then, and there's really nothing you could do. Yeah, uh, I mean Trey's an elite outlet passer, so one of the things that you get, I, I you know I think rebounds are to a lot of extent overrated, but you know, when you have somebody who's as good an outlet passer as, as Trey is, you saw some stuff tonight where it's like, okay, well, you know, if there's a surefire rebound that Capella or Collins is going to get, the other one can go, and, and Trey's yeah. going to make that pass. Yeah, I thought the the one moment that kind of captured the whole night for the Hawks was, I don't remember who shot the shot that ended up being wedged between the rim and the backboard. There were three Hawks right under the rim, and there were no Jazz players, and they ended up having to do a jump ball at center court. Yeah, which the <laughs> Gobert, which Gobert, it's like, of course that happened in this game, right? They had three rebounders right there, and it, yeah, they get the jump ball. So, um, so yeah, I was I was impressed that they fought back as, as ugly as it looked at moments, and as much as Trey was struggling, that they still as a team kind of fought back, but um, I know I know after the game, you know, Lloyd Pierce mentioned defensive breakdowns at the point of attack and letting them get too much dribble penetration, which created those kickouts. So I know that he takes issue with the way they perform defensively, and I get that. Right. But I, for me, if I kind of step back in big picture, they fought back, you know, before it, before the Jazz. It felt like they made about 12 shots in a row. They were heading in the early in the fourth quarter or something like that. I'm sure it wasn't quite they that. They were very streaky. It was, it was like they would make 20 shots yeah. and miss 12. Like the, Utah had a great shooting night, but it was like completely in spurts. It was, it was, it was weird. You know, they, you know, they shot almost 50 percent from three. So you think great shooting night, but it was like they also had some really cold stretches. So it's funny like how hot they could be, followed by you know just a complete outage. I thought the Hawks did a good job of like timing their zone. Like it, yeah. it, it, you know, it got them some runs. It kind of triages the bench, but you know, the bench was a problem too. Not the main problem for the evening, but I do think it was a problem in the sense that, you know, Kevin Herter was the only Hawk off the bench with a field goal until the game was essentially over. Right. I mean, right. there were some baskets by Snell and a Kong Wu, uh, maybe somebody else late, but, Herder was the only one with a bucket until the game was completely sealed and Utah had already pulled all their starters. Yeah, so I'm looking at it here, and they were 5 for 24 apart from Herder. Yeah, and it's not and like those and five Herter, all came late. Right, right. And, and, uh, uh, and Herder was, I mean, Herder missed all four of his three, so it wasn't like he was, like, yeah. you know. I mean, he, he gave them some of that alternate creation, too. I mean, he does a really good yeah. job of, like, just 
getting to the top of the charge circle and then just elevating straight up. Uh, there was one tonight where he got a steal and he, you know, he wasn't going to be able to get to that charge circle and he was going to have to make a layup from the side and he just gagged on the shot and passed it to Trey under the basket. And Trey's like, well, what the hell do you want me to do with that? Exactly. Because <laughs> the defense was you can't get a shot up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can't shoot that. What do you think I can do? But I think yeah. it got back to Kevin and Kevin made a shot. I think. Did he? Was, Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It was still disconcerting. Yeah, it was not how you would draw it up. But it, no. I think it was a fine result, but it wasn't how you draw it up. But yeah, it was. I mean, it, it, I mean, I know fans are disappointed with the score, the result, the fact that they couldn't hang in the game in the fourth quarter, the most important quarter. Um, but you know, they kept fighting, um, and sometimes that's what you look at: is like, did did they give up on each other? You know, I didn't see that. You know, I I know there are a few times when trade by all appearances, wasn't given the effort that the coaching staff expected on defense. There were other times he made really good plays. So like he, Yeah, there a, was like eight minutes in the second quarter where he got pissed off and played really good defense. And it's like, well, let's do more of that. Be, yeah. be upset, you know? Right. Like the first quarter was kind of a disaster because you know, the, the Jazz were shooting well, for one thing, and so that kind of opened up their pick-and-roll game. And when they were doing pick-and-roll, it was – sucking in the help and then you know trey was on the backside with two shooters and he's he's got to make a decision and try to do stuff there and he just kind of you know what yeah. wasn't really happening for him yeah he had a few moments where he wasn't even trying to kind of what do we, they say zone up the weak side where you're kind of playing the gap in between the two shooters on the weak side and he he doesn't have any length or size really to kind of throw at that you know right. but you st- but you still have to hold him accountable to doing it and there was, I think, twice where he just didn't do it. Um, you know, he's still a young. And he was eating young... some screens too. In the he was, and some of them were moving screens. <laughs> they, uh, they, uh, Bogdanovich absolutely leveled him on one in the first quarter, which yeah. probably uh, disincentivizes further uh, fighting through screens. But you still have to do it. Yeah, and both, and both Gobert and Favor is kind of like roll out of their screens and you know it's and they know what they're doing i mean they're both experienced guys and they work at their craft and stuff so i don't want to be too critical but that does uh, deflate (laughs) you know uh, a player's uh, maybe a player's willingness to kind of play as hard as it might otherwise on defense but um you know knows all the tricks like he Every single he one. From his screen. He flipped some of his screens, too. So, like, Trey's trying to set up and fight through a screen. And then at the last moment, you know, Gobert is all of a sudden on the other side of him. You know, and it's like Trey had, you know, that's where communication is key. And, I, you know, we can watch a telecast, but I have no idea what the communication is, if somebody's telling Trey what the hell's going on or not. But, yeah, you know, when, you know, on the one play that I saw that Gobert flipped his screen and changed the direction on it, you know, Trey was just dead in the water. Yeah. I mean, the communication has been solid all year from what I picked up, but I mean, they're playing at altitude. I mean, you don't know what might cause something, an area like that to slip just enough to kind of make it all harder to do. Um, But you know, I mean, like Trey had that moment where he got a strip when he was defending some. I forget who was defending in the post. I think it maybe was McDonavich in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he had another moment 
where he had a good dig in from the corner on a ball handler and he forced to help force the travel. So, um, but you know, I don't know if it was the last time I was on with you or a time, maybe a couple of times back, but one of the things that we talked about was that I thought this team was struggling with being held accountable to play defense harder and with more force than they had to the last two years with these, this young core. And I still think I see them struggling with that. You know, I, I thought yeah. for stretches the the effort was there and that they would do okay for two or three, maybe four minutes. And then the jazz would kind of figure something else out and they would uh, get disorganized and or struggle to stay organized. And then when you look at Trey, one for 11, you know, and when he got pulled at least once in this game, it looked like it was because of lack of defensive effort. And I just wonder if I could, you know, if we could be a fly on the wall in conversations happening between the players or between the players and coaches, is there a lot of conversation around, hey, you know, we have to play hard on both ends. We have to learn how to do that. I think this team is still trying to learn what it's like to play hard on defense and still be effective and efficient on offense. And I think that's not so easy. Um, and and if they had a full complement of players and had all their veteran guys that were added to the roster, maybe they'd be doing a little better and a little further down that path. But I see a team that's still struggling to give enough effort on both ends to um, – to put them on a trajectory towards where they want to be this season. I think they're just struggling to learn how to do that. That's what's what I feel like I see when I watch them right now. Yeah. The bench, you know, I, to, to be more specific, because I don't think I gave it full fairness before, but, you know, I said that Kevin Herter was the only bench player to, to make a shot in any meaningful portion of the game. Uh, you know, part of that, I think, was that they were bringing – Rondo and Akongu back from injury in the same game, and neither player looked like, you know, I want to talk about Akongu more, but just in terms of how he impacted this game, you know, you got a 20-year-old kid who hasn't played basketball in an organized game in a year, uh, and Rondo, and neither one of them is a shooter either. So, you know, it looked like that group got pretty comfortable in their zone defense, and they didn't really get blown off the floor. Uh, they weren't really chipping away at the leads either because, you know, they just, those, those, you, you know, it's going to be tough for some of those units to score outright. And in any case, uh, because, you know, you don't really expect Rondo or Kongwin to necessarily be great scores. Maybe they can get something going in the pick and roll, but, um, you know, it just didn't feel like any of those units had enough offensive punch given all the injuries that the Hawks have. Plus the fact that those two were just coming back from injury. Yeah, and on top of that, the better play we've seen from Goodwin the last week or so has been when he's been the point guard. Right. And, and so, you put him so at the two guard, you just you take him away from what he's been doing well. You take him away from what he's been doing well. So there's three of your bench players that really aren't uh, set up in an optimal kind of way for them to try to contribute to any sort of sustainable offense. And yeah. that's what I mean. That's what NBA coaches have to deal with. I mean. Do you in this game? Do you play Fernando ahead of Okongwu because he's sh- for sure going to be more prepared right. with kind of what you ask him to do scheme wise and all that sort of stuff? Or do you prioritize playing Okongwu so that a month from now you have a better player in your rotation? You know, that's or do you that's play, hard. You could get weird. You could play Goodwin with the starters or something to give. I don't know. I don't know. That's probably too weird. Yeah. 
I I didn't I was I didn't feel good about Rondo tonight uh, after his first stretch. He just looked like he didn't really have anything. Yeah. But uh, on the flip side of that, you gotta get you gotta get in some games. It's gonna happen at some point. Yeah. Get, yeah. Yeah. It has to. So. And this is the worst. So, like this is the worst stretch of literally the entire season. Like it's, I don't know. Maybe it gets better for the Hawks by some miracle. But like Friday in Utah, Saturday in Portland, fly back east and play a day game Monday in Atlanta. That's just miserable. Um, the the pain may continue. Yeah, and you know, of course the condition of the Timberwolves right now, we don't know if that Monday game will happen. It's an MLK day and that's a big deal for the franchise. So I hope it does, but the, I think the, the, the Phoenix game getting canceled helped them a little bit. It, it didn't, they didn't play any better tonight <laughs> as a result, but it, it bought them a little time just to kind of manage themselves physically through this stretch. And maybe when they catch Phoenix again, they'll be stronger and have, you know, a fuller roster of players and all that sort of stuff. But you know, I, I know I know a lot of fans are wanting to see Lloyd Pierce fired right away. Are wanting to kind of give up. They're five and six. I mean, they're five and six. <laughs> you know, and I, I know that we all wish they would have you know beat Hornets, Cavs, Knicks. Those are the four games I think that everyone is really kind of disappointed in. And I get it. I totally get it. Yeah, and there's something to it. Like the, you look at the hot. You know, before tonight, like you look at the wins versus the losses, and they. They won a bunch of big wins, like where they outscored the opponents by a lot, and then it seemed like they lost the close ones. And right. a lot of those close ones were after they had big leads. So, you know, I get the frustration. It's like there's 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 a missed opportunity cost there um, because it was you know not just because they were ahead, but it also was the it was the softest part of their schedule for the whole season, probably. I mean, that, right. there was a graphic tonight about how the Hawks had one of the best. Uh, best NBA records versus teams over 500 to this point of the season. It's like, well, yeah, they're two and one. Like <laughs> they haven't played that many good teams yet. That's for sure. Yeah. And that's why I get, uh, someone be, being disappointed with five and six, but it's, you know, I, I it's kind keep, of a soft five and six. It is a soft five and six, but nine new players on the roster right. and lots of injuries. I don't, I don't think they had, they didn't get even two weeks of preseason like activities, you know, so this, I mean, this is still very much them trying to, you know, put this new roster together, make it functional on the fly. I know we'd all like to see it better. I still feel good about this team, so long as they stick together and work through adversity and work through tough stretches together. I like the talent. I like the makeup. I like the complementary skills on the roster. It's going to be a lot better, especially when Gallo is back. You know, they'll they'll miss Bogdanovich for sure, but. Thankfully, Herder and Hunter kind of have up their game, at least in terms of what they're doing on ball from last year and, and look more reliable in that area. And that's what they'll miss from Bogdanovich. Um, and then, like tonight, you know, we're struggling at the point of attack. If they can get Chris Dunn back, you know, you know before too, too long, that's going to be another defender that you can kind of throw in to, to deal with that. So if I look at five and six and like, okay, their season's not sunk from a record perspective, they're probably right in the middle of the 15 teams, the Eastern conference. And I know that they had some on paper, very winnable games, but they're five and six and there's a long way to go. They're a talented team. There's a lot of new pieces. So just chill. <laughs> I just wanted to throw way, just... I, I didn't finish an idea from about five minutes ago when I said, maybe it's too weird to start Brandon Goodwin at point guard. I meant with Trey as shooting guard and cam to the bench. I didn't mean like 
bench tray or something. Sure. Lest anyone think that I've completely lost my mind, I was thinking you could kind of weaponize Trey with him off the ball because you just you needed more playmaking in this game and, and they didn't have it. Yeah, and uh, some people might be surprised to think like Goodwin is a solution. I know you know how highly I think of Goodwin. He's yeah, you're higher than me. He's good in the pick and roll. He can run yes. a pick and roll. He can do that, and that would have been really helpful tonight. Uh, but when I, I understand, I'm not being critical of how they manage the rotation tonight. Rondo needs to get back out there at some point and kind of get his right. game. And the only reason I'm suggesting stuff. is because we saw the game take place. Like I would have done what right. Tra- I would have done what Lloyd Pierce did, and now in hindsight, I'm spitballing and thinking, well, yeah, that didn't work. Is there something that? Is yeah. there any alternative that could have made that better? But I, I yeah, mean, I well, that well what I what I was looking for in the first half was: Are they going to run something that starts Trey off ball and then brings him onto the ball? And they never did that in the first half. Then in the third quarter, the first like four or five possessions, they started Trey in the corner, kind of like they do hurt her a lot when he's on the mm-hmm. court, and then brought him up into the DHO and then converted hit that into like a pick and roll, and he started to get a. You know, I think that's when he got a few assists, and he, even if he didn't make shots, that's when he kind of got into the paint for a decent look. But it it just he didn't... also got some free throws. I think I don't think he had any first half free throws, and then he, he yeah. got some in the third quarter. He he did exactly, and but for what for whatever reason, maybe Trey was just frustrated because his shot still wasn't falling, even when they were kind of worked out something to get him better opportunities, and it just it didn't end up being sustainable. So I mean, they. I, I, you know, you know, I watch X's and O's probably more than a, a casual fan. I, that's just how I watch a game. I'm not saying that's better than anybody else's way, but I saw them trying different stuff. You know, I yeah. saw them, uh, you know, kind of adjusting as things went along. You know, and another thing too is that you look at this Utah roster. This team's been together for a while. They've been with this head coach for a while. This is Utah runs stuff that they've been running with players for a good three years, you know, um, right. and, and that's just not where the Hawks are. You know, the, again, nine new players, 11 games, a lot of injuries, uh, you know, have, have been in the way of them putting a full roster together. So, you know, I, I'll be interested in where this, where the Hawks are after they played 30, a whole lot more than after 11, it was an ugly game. Um, I think that's, uh, the, I mean, like I said, the Hawks fought back, and then the Jazz got really hot the first like four to five minutes of the fourth quarter, and then that just leaves you no time to try to you know have one more pushback when you look up and you're down 24 points with seven minutes to go. There's not enough time for you, if anybody. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, it's uh, it was good to see Okongu out there. I, I know it was a footnote, but I think it was nice. Yeah, to no, see that's that. I want that's. That's the one other thing that's like, well, we yeah. got to talk about a Congo. Yeah, you? I was going to say, Tony Snell made his first shot. So that's mentally off of his, you know, that monkey's off his back. He's made a scene of Shaka. And, um, but Okongo is definitely worth 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 talking about. It's, you know, he was their lottery pick, and this was his first time on the court. So um, what do you think? I mean, it's kind of hard to get any sort of vibe because of the rust factor. Yeah. Uh uh, he, hmm. I mean, he, there's going to be some adjustment for him. Like he, he said tonight after the game, he's like, you know, you, you don't see Rudy Gobert's in college, which 
you know, I, I think he was bothered by the the pace of the game and the size of some of the players inside. And he's yeah. not that big himself. Like you mentioned Tony Snell a moment ago. I was like, why the heck is Kong wearing 19 for like half a second? And I was like, oh, wait, Tony Snell just came in the game. And he's pretty much the same height as Kong. Like Kong was not that tall. A lot of his size is in his wingspan and not his height. So he looked kind of smallish when he was out there with, yeah. you know, Gobert. So it's it, it's it's different like lloyd pierce before the game said he he's a five you know somebody asked if you know he was play some power forward or not and pierce pretty much shot that down even though he did play some with bruno fernando just to kind of mop up the minutes and garbage time but uh, right. pierce pierce said he's a five uh, but he's not a very big five but he's got some pop right i, I didn't feel like we saw any of it in the first half and once uh once garbage time kind of hit you you kind of see some unbelievable explosion when he was going uh to get some rebounds I was like oh okay and yeah. you know for again for a player with that much rust it, that was pretty surprising yeah yeah I wrote his draft profile picture cube so I and I I'm on the west coast so I saw him I think I saw him play four times live um so I you know which is a lot for me um sure it may not be I, I mean, I don't get to very many college games, but I was I kind of went on my way to get eyeballs on him. Uh, he's not that big, but he's as big as a lot of fine, useful centers in the league. Like oh, he's as sure. big as Daniel Tice. He's as big as Tristan Thompson. You know, he's kind of in that category of size, and he's long and he's strong for a guy his age. But yes, to his point, to his comments of the game, he's never face this type of opposition before and he, and he just deserves some time to kind of calibrate to that yes. you know his he's going to be more always be more impressive like what he can do on the move as an athlete he's an explosive athlete he's a fluid athlete him standing like right in front of the rim and trying to deny people dribbling to their he, that's never going to be like his uh area of strength he's going to be up like at the level of ball screens pressuring the ball yeah, and we saw a couple of those tonight, and it's like, yeah, okay, yeah. you could you could kind of see a path there to to something special on that end. Yeah, but on offense, I mean, things just kind of ground to a halt. A yeah, couple you of times. kind of see so, him catch the ball sixteen feet from the hoop, and it's like, you know, he knew he couldn't. He wasn't, you know, there wasn't much in the way of offense waiting for him in the paint, and he was certainly not comfortable shooting it. And he just kind of looked around, like, well, what what do I do with this thing? Yeah, yeah, and uh, and a couple of times he. You know, try to get a shot off, and got, I don't. I think he had two shots blocked. It feels yes. like, and and it was like it's his first game. Of course, he yeah. doesn't know. He doesn't know what the the thresholds are for what a good shot look and feels like, and what a bad shot looks and feels like. You know, he deserves some repetitions, and uh, so you know, it's hard for any center to go up against Rudy Gobert. I think in your first NBA game, and and when you're um, a little bit kind of undersized and maybe don't have um you know real rhythm or what have you have all that rust you mentioned it's just kind of a crappy you know first matchup to deal with but i don't and it, i don't think he really like i don't he, he didn't embarrass for, like, himself yeah no. he didn't, embarrass it didn't himself, feel like though. we could get any feel for like what he might be able to do no. as like a pick and roll player yeah felt like he kept catching the ball in like weird spots awkward spots out on the perimeter or there were some post moves his first move was a post move it was kind of an ugly post move. Then there was another one where I think he had like a travel and a post move. But, you know, I, I kind of want to see, you know, I think a lot of his NBA success is going to be predicated by what he can do on the move 
you know, can he be a good short roll passer, you know, stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he has good hands. And I think that he has that baseline set of skills that could develop into being a short roll, short roll guy in the way that Capella's not and Collins hasn't really developed into that. You, you, you don't know what kind of decision maker he's going to be until he's kind of playing at that speed. That's probably a year two or year three thing, right? We're not going to necessarily see a lot of that there. She might see right. the potential for like this year, but that's probably more a year two, year three thing. And then, you know, for tomorrow night, you know, there's going to be a lot of Ennis Cantor, and that's more of a like-for-like matchup for him, you know, than a Rudy Gobert or Derek Favors. With um, Nurkic out with that broken wrist, uh, it's going to be, I would guess, it's going to be Cantor and um, Giles, I guess, is that's I'm probably forgetting someone, but that's more like for like for him. So, right, uh, you know, if they let him play tomorrow, it's as a back to back, so you know, maybe they roll out Fernando tomorrow. But if he's back out there, I think it'll be a better opportunity for a couple reasons one, second game, not first game, and then the next reason is, like I said, it's more like for like matchup, and we'll get a better read of kind of how he looks at this point. That sounds good. Anything else you want to add? I, uh, you know, I continue to enjoy Andre Hunter. That's stuff there. Just don't expect him to carry an offense for 30 minutes in the game. That may be a, if he ever gets there, that's more of a year four, year five thing. So we're a ways away from that. And, you know, Reddish looks better as a year shooter. Four, he year five, he'll athlete. be like 30. That's young, Kevin. 30 is young. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and Reddish, Reddish, the shot looks better. He still has a couple of, He's having some ugly moments handling the ball and passing and kind of the real-time decision-making. But but there's, you know, there's good stuff happening here. It's a matter of putting it all together. The primary thing is to get Trey Young back going offensively the way he was the first five, six teams of the year. And why would I think that's not going to happen? I think it's going to happen. And, I guess, you know, final thought for me is we're 11 games in. I'll have a fuller uh, – reaction to what i'm seeing like after about 30 games that i do after 11 so i am still on the train i think it's going to be a positive fun season i think you know uh good good things are ahead just continue to give it time that's my final thoughts for where where we are after game 11. very good one one postscript before we sign off entirely is that uh if you wanted to hear what trey young said after the game that there wasn't anything because we're in a, you know, we're the, the COVID protocols factor into everything. So it's just, you know, which players it's, it's a podium game situation and which players uh, come out to speak. And so it was uh, tonight it was cam because cam had his first good game in a while and the Kong because it was his first game ever. So Trey didn't speak after the game. So if you're wondering what happened in that regard or anything along those lines, uh, it, just was a thing that didn't happen because uh, it was just the two players and Coach Pierce after the game. So uh, nothing in in that realm uh, to speak of because it didn't happen. Yeah, disappointing, but it's a weird season and it's a weird time, so I'm not going to make anything of it. Um, But I I think like all Hawks fans, I'm curious to see if any of the frustration carries over to tomorrow night. Um, He'll have his hands full defensively, whether he's – Matched up with Dame or CJ or or you know whomever somebody bigger yeah yeah and so you know he'll have to bring it for the Hawks to have a shot to win the game but I, I hopefully we see him kind of 
back to being the trade we saw the first you know, six games of the season or so. That, yeah, that's coming back. It's just a matter of when. So. And that was Pierce's sentiment about the ball containment. It's like, well, it was bad, but if you think it was bad tonight, we got Portland tomorrow, so that's coming. We'll see. Right. We'll do this again soon, Glenn. Yes. Yeah, maybe a more fun game, but hey, I for me, it is always fun to talk basketball. It's interesting. Yeah, it's not so the, it's, the game did yeah. not lack for interest, which is always a good thing. Yeah, I thought there were a lot of things to take away and always appreciate the chance to kind of talk through those things with you, Kevin, so appreciate it. Well, have a good night, sir. Yep, talk to you again soon.